0: Welcome back to the third take of this episode, and they're about a week apart, uh, but this is the final version. Gary, it's a pleasure to have you back on the show. Always a pleasure. Now, you were mentioning about a film clip that you had sent me.
1: Yes. um, It's going to be on this week, the 14th, no, the next week, the 14th on Paramount Plus uh, app. And. What it is, is they got all the doctors together that were at Parkland Hospital and saw the original wounds on JFK. And of course, sa- they know that the shots came from the front, that the throat wound was an entrance wound, and that uh, the back of his head was blown out. Now, what happened, we have to regress to the assassination. <clears throat> they took Kennedy to Parkland Hospital. And it's a, the trauma center there. All of these doctors and nurses saw the wounds. And after he was taken from Parkland illegally, where he should the autopsy should have been performed in in uh, in Parkland because it was uh, a local crime and there was no federal uh, law against assassinating the president until after Kennedy. So, Doctor Rose, who was the uh, autopsy guy, the doctor there, told them that the autopsy had to be done at Parkland. And Secret Service literally took the, gun, the coffin away at gunpoint and threatened him. So, the right away, we have, when we could have solved all the questions and seen the autopsy, a real autopsy done, it wasn't done. It was taken away legally. Well, the doctors at Parkland were immediately when they got on the media they said this is an entrance wound and this uh looks like that shot came from the front and so forth and then they were approached by the FBI and the uh, secret service and told to keep their mouth shut they were told uh <clears throat> later after the autopsy in Bethesda they were told those doctors found that the shots came from behind so well at that time it was 63 and everybody trusted everybody and so they thought well it's our duty we can't argue with the doctors that did the autopsy so they kept quiet and they also were afraid that they would lose their standing in the community as surgeons and doctors and that they should get together and just not not talk about it well after a few years went by one of the doctors wrote a book it was charles crenshaw he wrote a book called uh, uh conspiracy of silence and in the book he tells the real story that that the uh, the doctors all thought that the shots came from the front and that uh the they were all told to keep quiet by the cia and even threatened by the fbi and the secret service so then he what happened was JAMA the uh American Medical Association uh journal attacked crenshaw and uh they wrote up they said that he wasn't even there at the autopsy you know that this was all a bunch of crap so crenshaw sued them sued jama and uh all the doctors stood behind crenshaw and he won and he got a ton of money and they had to retract uh what they wrote that he wasn't there so then he wrote another book recently, uh, 1990s or 2000, uh, telling a, the whole story about how they uh, tried to discredit him and everything and, and the whole situation. Well, unfortunately, he's dead now. So he's not in this video. But what happened somehow, and I didn't know this was going to happen, they got all the other doctors together. And, and if you saw it in the trailer, they're sitting in a room and they're all saying, You know, we were told to shut up. We were told to not talk about it. But the shots came from the front. Now. There's two things that can happen. Of course, the uh, low nutters will try to say, oh, well, you know. Discredit them. But how do you discredit six or eight guys who were surgeons, who were doctors and who were there? It's very hard to discredit. There's a popular video of all of them uh, holding up photos from the autopsy saying, this is not what the wounds looked like when I saw them. Right, exactly. But they never got them all together in a documentary like this before. So what's going to happen? What's the media going to do with this? Are they going to just put it on page 10 and pretend it didn't happen? Uh, are they going to attack these guys? Are going to bring Posner out of the woodwork and uh, to, to attack them? um it, it it's it's almost definite proof that there was a conspiracy and it's it's going to be very hard if if it hits the if it, the problem is too that it's on paramount plus and how many people uh a lot of people subs- have paramount plus they subscribe to that a lot of yeah. people
0: that's where i watched jim's film okay well of course jim's film was was uh not widely well, no, media has really accepted the conspiracy version of things. Companies are taking a big shot when they do so. Um but I, th- but I think it's the fact that you don't really hear about it and it still ends up trending at some places. Um, I mean, Oliver Stone's obviously an award-winning filmmaker, and the fact that he had to go overseas for funding for his movie for JFK is a yeah, big yeah. issue
1: well, i i I taught a class I'm teaching a class at Slippery Rock University on JFK and Robert Webster. And I had 40 people sign up for my class. These are retired people. And I thought, you know, a lot of them are probably lone nutters and they believe the Warren Report. Every one of them was finally the truth is going to come out, you know. So it was really encouraging to see that somebody still cares. Unfortunately, they're all old people (laughs) and they're not kids. But by the same token, they're finally ready to accept with all the things that have happened, and the fake news, and the lying, and all that, now they're willing to accept that they were lied to. I think back then, but it's going to be interesting to see if this is buried, ignored, attacked. I'm I'm waiting to see what's going to happen after this. But uh, I think it's it. This this could be it. This could be. You know what? You know what I find really funny is that people
0: are signing up for your class, and I'm over here just sending you an email or sending you a message like, "Hey, teach me about Robert Webster."
1: <laughs> yeah, you're right. Yeah, but it's encouraging that that many people are still interested. That that was the thing I thought. Well, I'll get ten people. I got forty, and it was like, wow.
0: No, there's a lot of – like some of your clips started trending because some of the topics we discussed, and it's why I wanted to have you on to talk about some of the things because I had to dive a little bit deeper into it myself. Um, I have to ask about John Fane. You mentioned him. I think a lot of people know about the FBI agent James Hosty, who um, obviously comes up in the assassination when you start diving down into it. But John Fane is a name I had not heard until you mentioned it to me, and I had to do a deeper dive on him. Um, Could you explain a
1: little bit about who John Fain was, how he comes into the situation? Yes. Uh, John Fain was a special agent for the FBI in uh, Fort Worth and Dallas. Uh, and when Oswald came back from the Soviet Union with a Russian wife, uh, of course, the FBI was interested and wanted to, uh, you know, make sure that they weren't working for the Russians or to find out if the Russians, the KGB or somebody was in touch with them. So the first thing they did was they Fane uh, got the case and he called. Uh, he either sent a letter or called Oswald and told him to come down to their office. They wanted to interview him. So he went down to the office, to the FBI office. This was in uh, maybe June 62. They had just gotten back. They were living in Fort Worth. And uh, they interviewed him, and he told them, no, that the Russians weren't in touch with him and whatever. So then, in August, about two months later, for some reason, they pull up at uh, Oswald's apartment. Oswald was living in a duplex on Mercedes Street in uh, Fort Worth at the time, and they waited for Oswald to come home from work. And... uh, because they didn't want to, they told him they didn't want to interview him at work and embarrass him and all this stuff. So they parked out in front of his house, and when he came up the street, they stopped him and got asked him to come into the car, and they talked for an hour or more. Fain and his partner and Oswald, and what exactly was said, nobody knows for sure. Uh, in one interview, I one interview I I read that. Fain said he was belligerent and blah 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 and another he said he was he uh he assured them that nobody had contacted him and he would let them know if you know if they did and so forth so it's kind of two different stories of of what was said in the car, but nobody knows and then Fane retired two months later and hosty replaced him and of course we all know how that went uh <clears throat> interestingly hosty uh Hostie came to Oswald's apartment and he wasn't there. And he talked to Marina and he came to Ruth Payne's house and talked to Ruth Payne uh, when Marina was there. And uh, Oswald asked her to uh, found out about it. And he was very mad that they were approaching his wife. And he uh, she didn't speak English, so I don't know what he thought he was going to get out of her. But so what uh, he did was he told her, write down his name and his license plate number and all this stuff so she took notes the next time he came she wrote down the license number and all these things were found in Oswald's uh, notebook after he died It was Oswald's phone number Oswald's i mean Hosty Austi- Hosty's phone number and Hosty's uh, license number and all that stuff were in his book and the C- the FBI tried to cover that up they didn't want it known that they had been in touch with Oswald and so forth but uh it came out anyway that that he did, <clears throat> and of course Hostie was working on right wing stuff. Why, like, why he was handling Oswald doesn't make much sense. In fact, if he had walked into that apartment, it was Neely Street that he went to, uh, and, and and saw Marina. Uh, just think about it. If 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 he had walked in like the did and saw that rifle. <laughs> It was Hostie that investigated um, the Walker shooting. (laughs) And here's this rifle that supposedly was in the apartment there. He might have walked right in and said, what's, you know, what's that? But he didn't. Apparently it wasn't there. So, you know, Hostie from then on, I think was Oswald's contact. And he was. um, An informant for the FBI, and he was. Whether he was willingly do it, doing it or whether they were kind of maybe blackmailing him, threatening him to uh, cause trouble with his wife or whatever—I mean, who knows? Nobody knows. But I'm, I'm, I'm really sure he was an informant for them, willingly or unwillingly. And that leads to all kinds of possibilities, of course. Do
0: you, do you think it could be possible that in that car? when they talked for a couple hours, that that's the point where they contacted them to keep up tabs on, because that's in the Warren Commission. John Fain's testimony is the counter opposite from uh, the Warren Commission's version of who Oswald was, a violent uh, person. He literally states that Oswald was not violent. Um, I asked; They were mostly concerned about his wife um, having KGB connections of that sort. But I think if we talk about how he was able to pay the money back so fast, that could be an example because he could be an FBI informant from that point on, keeping tabs on any interesting mail or things that could be from the Soviet Union.
1: Well, I think you're right. Uh, I think that's probably when they said, well, look, um, if they do contact you, you know, let us know. And Oswald, of course, would jump on this kind of thing because he he always wanted to be like Herb Vilbert. He wanted to be Working for the FBI, you know, secret. He loved the secrecy, and and he was good at it. So I think he said, "Okay, yeah," uh, and and maybe he said, "Well, you know, I, I'm, I can't afford to do this. Uh, I got I got to work, and I'm busy." And they said, "Well, we can give you a stipend. We can give you a couple hundred dollars a month or something," and that could have helped him pay, or they could have paid off the uh, the loans for him you know, as a deal, part of the deal. Who knows what happened in that car? But I think you're right. I think at that point on, he was probably an informant. Uh, and and when Hostie came in, it uh, escalated probably.
0: What are your thoughts on Hostie being brought in to monitor Oswald? I mean, obviously, he was dealing with more right wing stuff and he comes into the matter. But John Fain, based on his statements of Oswald not being violent or there's nothing wrong with Oswald, is why he closed the investigation and why he retired. He even stated in his warned commission that he would have not um, closed the investigation uh, if he would have thought Oswald was violent.
1: Right. He did. He closed the investigation before Hostie, before he retired even, and before Hostie came in, Hosty reopened it. And uh, so, but Hosty was also involved with uh, w- William Lowry, who was uh, in the Dallas Communist Party and informing on them to the FBI. He was he was meeting Hosty on park benches once a month and he was getting paid two hundred dollars. And that's exactly probably what Oswald was doing. In fact, they may have all been working together. Who knows? You know, but. um Hostie was somehow involved in 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 a lot of things that uh, like that he shouldn't have been. I don't know. He he was handling some things, um, and the fair play for Cuba thing is the whole uh, key to Oswald and the Oswald story, the CIA and the FBI and the the Senate Internal Security uh, Committee. And, which was the Dodd Committee were all after the FPCC, all three of them, and Hosty was involved, you know, with the FBI and probably with Dodd. And what's interesting about see see no one knows for sure when Oswald started handing out Fair Play for Cuba uh, pamphlets and, and 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 so forth. It, it was known that he started in. New Orleans in the summer of 63. But there's also possibility that he did it in Dallas. He wrote to um, he wrote to the Communist Party, American Communist Party, and he said that he had put a placard around his neck that said Viva Fidel and was passing out uh, leaflets in Dallas in the spring of 63. And then I found a document from the Dallas police that said that they found a man doing that, downtown Dallas in front of Green's Hardware, Green's department store. And he saw them and ran and they couldn't get him. So that could have been Oswald. So he was starting this. And if he was starting it in Dallas, then Hostie's involved for sure. If he started in New Orleans, then it's De Bruis, uh, who was the FBI contact for him in New Orleans. So it, here's the thing they're trying to destroy the, the Fair Play for Cuba committee. And they weren't happy just doing, uh, just getting, uh, associating Oswald and the communists with them. They were trying to associate them with the communists. But what they were also doing was they were doing things. They were doing false flag things, and blaming it on the uh, on the FPCC, and that could be exactly where Oswald came in. And when you remember that Dodd had a, also had a committee on juvenile delinquency, he was working all these right wing things, and in that one, they were he was also obsessed with uh, weapons with. Um, uh illegal firearm sales from mail order catalogs so if you look at it that way not only is Oswald trying to to destroy the fair play for Cuba committee for them for these, one of these youths, or all three groups.
0: The only way, I mean, it explains the reason why he punched somebody, whether they were arguing over something or not. I don't really necessarily think that's a hothead move, considered his sophisticated measures, but it makes the Fair Play for Cuba committee look like a violent organization if he's that's representing what, it. That's what they wanted. But I didn't not... think I was going to get there. I saw you trying
1: to interrupt me. <laughs> they, no, we're not, I'm not talking about the Bryn Gare thing in New Orleans. What I'm talking about is um, Dodd's committee was investigating these people that were selling mail-order firearms. And two of the companies on the list were Klein Sporting Goods in Chicago, which was where Oswald ordered a rifle. And one was Seaport Traders in California, and that's where he ordered the pistol. And it it would explain why he's sitting in Avery and in Alba's garage next to Riley Coffee on his lunch hour, cutting out coupons. He's cutting out coupons for mail order weapons. And then he orders them from two of the uh, companies that are on Dodd's committee's list. Now, he's either working for Dodd or he thinks he is. Somebody's leading him to believe that he's working for the Dodd Committee and setting him up instead by the mail order guns to knowing the assassination was going to take place, knowing he was going to get the blame. And what does that do? That destroys the fair play for Cuba Committee. And that's what the Kennedy assassination did because of Oswald being linked to them. That was the end of the fair play for Cuba Committee. It was totally. Done. Are you saying that somebody was
0: giving him info because of the fact that Adrian Alba also saw him run out to a car and hand him a letter?
1: Yeah, they saw uh, an FBI. See, Adrian Alba's garage serviced or kept the cars for the FBI and government agencies, and he saw one of those cars, an FBI agent, pull up along the curb. Oswald looks in the window, talks for a minute. The guy hands him an envelope, which he puts under his shirt. Money. It's <laughs> Here's your your money this month, you know, that kind of, and Alba saw that, Uh, and he saw Oswald sitting in there reading gun magazine, and he's he's asking Alba questions about mail-ordering guns, even after he ordered his. He already ordered them, and he's asking him questions. So that tells me he's trying to get information for the Dodd Committee about mail-order guns, whether he's really working for them, or whether somebody's using that to incriminate him for the assassination that's going to happen. The other possibility is that the FPC, after the assassination, used it against the FPC. It could have been, you know, either they knew it was going to happen, or they took advantage of it happening. Uh, the Fair Play for Q Committee is is funny because it it started out as a letter to the uh, in the New York Times. These two guys that started the uh, guy one, one guy's name was Gibson, and the other guy I can't remember. But this Gibson, they start they 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 got a bunch of intellectuals together and they all signed this letter, and they sent it to the New York Times, and it basically said. Uh, give Cuba a break. There's some good things happening. Castro's not that bad a guy. Uh, You know, the good side of Cuba. And this really scared, uh, for some reason, Hoover and uh, the Dodd committee and all those people, because up until that time, some of them were Black. Some of these intellectuals were Black. Up until that time, Blacks had only attacked racial issues and now they were going over to foreign policy and stuff so they had and then this uh response to that ad in the New York Times was so uh big that it that the FPC started to grow into this organization it was a positive response and they were you know they had to hire an accountant to take keep keep track of their funds and all this stuff and Gibson had no idea that was going to happen and he didn't really want to do it so guess what he does he goes over and becomes an f a cia informant he he starts to work for the cia and so he he, he either switches sides from you know from the fair play for cuba now he's a cia uh, operative and, and then he goes a third route and he becomes a kgb informant so The FB, the C, triple. (laughs) Anyway, so the CIA dumps him finally. And they never, uh, they never do that. They never dump agents that uh, are established, you know, but they did. They dumped him. And so, I mean, it's it's what was really going on. Everybody's faking everybody else out. And and, uh, what does Oswald think? But does he know he's being manipulated and he doesn't know who's handling it it's really my take on the whole thing and and it's so uh intermeshed with all these things this paranoia that was going on with communism that uh it could have been anybody you know that was really controlling them. again my favorite guy is angleton because he's a genius at uh, staying in the background and he was probably and, that was part of COINTELPRO, and that was Angleton and Hoover created COINTELPRO. So, Angleton was also in on the Fair Play for Cuba deal. So, uh,
0: what do you know about the Marxist literature that was getting sent to Oswald?
1: Uh, well, uh, he was subscribing to it. Uh, he started that in the Marines, he was getting it when he was in the Marine Corps. And I mean that tells you a lot right there. I mean, in the, in '58 or whatever it was, he was there before he defected. He's getting he's getting uh, communist literature in the Marine Corps, and I mean that just doesn't happen. I mean you wouldn't get away with it; you'd be arrested or.
0: You think that's a made up story, or do you think someone no, was he did it on purpose? He did. He
1: he subscribed to it. Okay, he so. Sub- he- He subscribed to, but he, but he, but he had it sent to his post office, to the Marine Corps or whatever, to an APO or whatever. And so uh, one of the, in fact, uh, if you read the testimony of his fellow Marines, that's a lot of interesting stuff. And one of them was somebody turned him in to his superior, said, he's getting this communist literature, you know, and his, uh, his sergeant or whoever it was, went to his commanding officer and told him and nothing was done about it it's like oh we know (laughs) okay (laughs) I mean it's who knows and then when he went came back from Russia he was still getting uh, he went to Russia and he continued to get literature when he came back with Marine in 62 63 he was getting it then and that's the pictures that's in the photo for Time Magazine where he's standing there with the militant and the worker. Now, the militant and the worker are two different, (laughs) two different things. I mean, they're not, you know, one's socialist, one's communist. They're not anything. They don't even approve of each other, which is odd, you know. So uh, he was getting this literature and he was getting one called Crocodile, which he started getting after he came back, which was kind of a radical uh, newspaper. So. I don't know if this was part of his image to be, he's posing as this Marxist, and so he gets this literature. Uh, part of it might have to do with, and if we go down this road, we'll be two hours. <laughs> his his cousin, Lillian, or uh, his cousin, uh, Marilyn Moret, um, is, is really an interesting story. She was a teacher and she traveled all over the world and she went to like, I mean, I can't can't tell you, she went to like 20 universities all over the world to get a bachelor's degree as a teacher. And then she traveled to almost every country in, in the world. And how she could afford it on a teacher's salary, I don't know. But she visited, you name a country, she visited it in the 60s. Well, she, here's, here's the funny thing I found this uh, news article. There were these two uh, guys that wrote an article like, it was like Huntley and Brinkley, but they were political. They were more uh, anti communist type guys. Scott and, uh, can't remember the other guys. Anyway, I found this article, and it was, it was written in sixty-four, I think. And they had what they had was they had a list of, they said they had a list of two hundred people who had gone to the Soviet Union or to uh, the country satellite countries of the Soviet Union. And they were um, being investigated because of the assassination, that it wouldn't happen again, that that some commie sympathizer wouldn't come over, basically is what they said. And they had a list of the top 10. And in that list of the top 10 was Robert Webster. (laughs) And, And it said, Robert Webster... We don't know where he is. He may have slipped back into the country, and he was a, a expert marksman. <laughs> by that time, Oswald Webster had not only come back, he'd been debriefed by the FBI, by everybody else. He had gotten his citizenship back, and he was living in Massachusetts. And they're saying they don't know where he is and that he might come back. And, and so I asked his son, was he a marksman? He said, Hell no. He <laughs> never, never you never used guns. And then in that top 10 list was Marilyn Moret. Marilyn Moret was Oswald's cousin, the freelance teacher that went all over the world. And because she went to Russia, they had her on this list. And somehow they were tying her to this uh, communist group uh, and it's 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 really complicated but the guy that was the head of this group was one of the people that wrote in the uh the militant or the worker and he wrote articles for it so oswald would have known who he was but it's a very uh very abstract and complicated thing. So you have to wonder, did Marilyn Moret get Oswald into this program? Now, the CIA had a program called Redskin. Okay, Ocean and Redskin. And what it was, was if you were uh, visiting Russia or one of the satellite countries, you could you were a source of information. called You were called a Redskinner or whatever. So she was certainly that. And apparently he was because he never really defected because he never really gave up his citizenship. And so they would be both have been part of that Red Skinner program. So somewhere in there, um, in that mix, I think she maybe had a lot to do with him defecting, with him getting involved with those that communist group uh, that she was maybe working for. And, uh, who knows, you know, I mean, it's, it, there's all kinds of possibilities. That's why you can go anywhere with this. I mean, if you, it, if you could only get inside Oswald's head and know what he was thinking, you know, what was he thinking? And I think he was just being manipulated, but, uh, it, it's, in fact, she went, uh, here's a story. She went to, she happened to be when Oswald defected, or, or went to Russia, she happened to be in Japan, and she was, she looked up uh, Lee's half-brother, John Pick, who was stationed there. He was in the Coast Guard or something, and he was stationed in, to, in Japan. And so she looked him up because they were cousins, you know. And so he was, she was talking to him, and she said, do you know that Lee is in Europe? Lee went to Russia he said, no. And guess what? It didn't hit the media till the next day or two. So she knew about it before. Before anybody else did, which tells you a lot, you know. So Marilyn Moret is a really interesting character. She was the daughter of Dutz Moret, who was basically Oswald's surrogate father, because he lived with the Moretts on and off. They took care. uh, his mother's sister, Lillian, Moret, would uh, took care of him when uh, Marie Marguerite was working or doing things, or when they needed to stay there temporarily. So the Moretts somehow are into this. Uh, at least, li- at least uh, Lillian uh, and Marilyn. And I thought more of that should have been. They questioned her in front of the Warren. I think it was the Warren Commissioner or the House select committee. And I couldn't get, I couldn't get that document. It was like secret for a long time. Then all of a sudden I got it and there's nothing in it that really makes it secret. I don't understand, you know, why the, you know no one could get it before, but there's something about Murad. And I think she was a CIA agent.
0: You want to talk about the um, Oswald and heading to the theater? Because stuff we were mentioning with John Fane and the informant aspect, I mean, the, the thing is the intelligence tactic that comes into the theater, and that's with the cardboard box top. that doesn't really get mentioned a lot um, that he had on his person. and it's It was submitted on evidence that was found on him. Um, and if you look deeper into that, and I think we've talked about it in the past. Uh, which was that he was sitting next to random people looking for a contact. Well, I found the statements from people saying that he was moving around a theater and sitting next to random people. So that is more factual than, because I can't find the intelligence move for that. I can't, I don't, I know it's a place where spies meet, but um, that in, you mentioned before in our last recording about a, even an example with John Dillinger, just to bring that up before you.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, but I, what I mentioned was that there, it was, it's ironic that, uh, the theater comes into play it, it, when people are assassinated, and John Dillinger went to the theater with uh, with a woman that betrayed him, and the FBI knew he was there, and they waited for him to come out, and they killed him on the street. And it's ironic that that was a, that Dillinger was killed near a theater, and more ironically, uh, one of the agents was uh, Guy Bannister that was there, uh, so. Yeah, there's a third tie-in. The other one is Lincoln, of course, was killed in the theater, and then Oswald wasn't killed in the theater. I don't know why he should have been, but the theater just seems to come into play. But spies in, at least in the '60s, it's uh, a great place to catch a show. It's it's a great it's a great place to meet somebody in the dark, and pass things without people seeing you. Uh, you know, that's and... called a strip club. Let's stay with. the <laughs> So I think Oswald was told to go to that theater, uh, and so he he did, and there's evidence that he was that he went directly there from his apartment because the ticket keeper was uh, uh Bruce Butch Burrows. Butch Burrows were kind of ran the theater, and he said that Oswald came in about uh 107, which is about the time Tippett was being shot. And that he went into the theater, and then he came out and bought popcorn, and went back in. Now, the guy that uh, Brewer saw, uh, the, the shoe store guy, Johnny Calvin Brewer, saw that Oswald standing in his lobby at the shoe store, and then he saw him go into the theater without paying, because there were police cruisers, sirens going on on the street, and the ticket, keeper, ticket collector was uh, Julia Postal was standing out in the street looking at what's going on and didn't see him go in. But Butch Burroughs said that that guy went up to the uh, balcony. So the police. Now, here's a guy that didn't pay 35 cents for a ticket and a SWAT team shows up. Not only police, there were FBI, there were photographers, there were newsmen, there was this huge crowd of people show up at the theater and Oswald is arrested in the mezzanine, but the police report says he was arrested in the balcony. <laughs> and a guy named, uh, Hare, uh, can't think of his first name. He was, had the, a business next door and he was out in his alley in the back of the store. And he saw police bring a guy out of the back door of the Texas theater and put him in a police car. And he thought that was Oswald for years. He thought it was Oswald until one day he saw a a documentary or a video of them bringing Oswald out the front door. So we have an Oswald clone coming out the back door. The probably the one that was arrested in the balcony. But a couple of the witnesses, there was a guy named Davis that said that he saw Oswald come in early. And he saw him sitting there, several different people. He'd sit down next to somebody for a few minutes, and then he'd go sit next to somebody else. There's only a few people in the theater. It's a it's a Friday afternoon, two war movies double feature. You know, uh, there's like maybe was it War people. Is Hell? Is that what
0: the movie was? War
1: Is Hell and uh, Pork Chop Hill or something? And so he goes in there, Damn, and what's tough, our- <laughs> tough decisions at the theater? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you could understand, I'm I'm trying to hide. A theater would be a good place to hide. It's no, dark. It's a perfect spot,
0: but it just, his movements don't make sense in the theater. And I think a lot of people don't know that there were two people arrested in that theater, um, one in the balcony and one on the main floor. So I think that's really important because when this, you know, even at the Texas Theater, I think it's it's out front, there's a issue going on because they put a plaque there talking about this is where, Lee Harvey Oswald was captured for killing the president. And there's a lot of people that are like, no, he's only being charged for killing Tippett. And it's like, how will history remember these things? And if someone doesn't know anything about the assassination, they come across it and they read that. That's fact to them now.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. But he went in there and he had and when he was arrested, he had on him a half of the box top. So that tells you that someone else had the other half. And if they put them together, you're my contact. Okay, give me my next instructions or what to do, and probably he was told they'd fly him out of Dallas and my next you know, my next objective. Our next objective is watching Pork Shop Hill. <laughs> yeah, and when they went into his uh, the room that he had on Beckley, they found some dollar bills that were cut in half. So he had probably done this before. You know, matching up two dollar bills is another way to do it. So I think that's probably. Uh, he went there thinking I'm that someone, if he's guilty, someone's going to get me away. They're going to fly me to Mexico or Cuba or whatever. David, or, you know, maybe I'm going to Redbird Airport. And David Ferry's is going to fly me out <laughs> or somebody, you know. So, but on the other hand, it, it could have been that meet us in the theater and we're going to kill him. You know, we're going to get we might take them out and fly them up. We're going to kill them. We're going to get rid of them. So the possibilities are are a lot. I mean, there's just there's just so many because there's so many different versions of what's going on and where uh where he was at what time, you know. And the Tippet killing is 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 really a key because if he went in there at 107, he couldn't have killed Tippett. And how could he walk from his apartment to the Tippet site in a it's, which is over a mile in you know in just uh, ten minutes or less? I mean, you got to be running, you know, to do that. Uh, and not, it, the, the even worse, you know, uh, the commissioners tried to prove that he did that. He 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 walked that in, and so David Bellin actually walked it two or three times and timed himself, you know, to prove he could do it. And he couldn't, but he said, I was close enough, you know, I had, you know. But the people that saw the Tippett shooting, most of them said that Oswald was walking um, west, that when Tippett, Tippett was coming east and Oswald was walking west and turned around and started to walk the other way and then Tippett stopped him. If that's the case, then the route that uh the route that Bellin took wasn't the route that he did. In fact, his route, if he was coming west instead of going east, it was a lot further than a mile. It was he was a roundabout route. And so he couldn't have possibly walked it in 10 minutes or whatever. So the Warren Commission said he was walking east, although most of the witnesses said he was walking west, which is strange so where was he going you know where was oswald if that was oswald well why did his gun not work in the theater if it just worked prior well uh, again you have to take all the all this stuff with a grain of were you there no did you see it no did i see it no the cop's version you know the dallas police corrupt number one okay so McDonald said that he came in and Oswald jumped to his feet, said it's all over now, and pulls out his gun and that he's going to shoot McDonald. McDonald said he put his hand, he got his, the web of his hand in between the hammer and the, uh, the bullet so that it didn't fire. And, and or other, he's now, now you got to understand that this guy, McDonald is. He, he came. I have a picture that he <laughs> he gave me, uh that I sent here. Let me show you. Hang on. Can you see that? Yep. That's McDonald. That's the guy that captured Oswald. Super cop. It's a picture autographed. Uh wait just a second. I can't hear you. It's called Super Cop, Gary. It's Super an Cop. auto It's an autographed photo of him and Oswald and Kennedy and his and the gun, and he's selling these on eBay. You know what so that this... makes? You know what that makes me think of? Hmm. Pork Chop Hill, the sequel. <laughs> he is. Trying to get in the spotlight, make money, profit off the whole thing. So he wants to be a hero. So he says, hey, you know, I I jumped and grabbed the gun, and it could have killed me, but I was brave, and I and all this stuff. And he hit him. He hit Oswald, uh, and Oswald yelled, "No, uh, I'm not resisting arrest. No p- police brutality." So no one knows did that happen that way. For one thing, uh, if that if that firing pin was Bent or or damaged and didn't fire, then he could have killed Tippett with it, <laughs> you know. And here's the story that'll drive you nuts. I think John Armstrong found this woman, that uh, she was Mexican and she worked in this. Um, her and her daughter worked in this it was a laundry or a sewing uh, room across the street from the de- the book depository, the back door. And she said, her daughter said heard her friend, they knew they knew uh, Jack Ruby and they knew Oswald because he worked there. They saw Ruby. After the shooting, they saw Oswald come out of the, the building and Ruby handed him a gun, a pistol. <laughs> and they walked in different directions, according to these two witnesses. If that's true... Ruby could have given him a gun with a bent firing pin, knowing that he would get killed, (laughs) you know, when he tried to draw it, that he'd be shot. That's another possibility.
0: But we'd have to find interactions with Jack Ruby and Oswald.
1: Right. Before that. Again, the Dodd committee was also investigating narcotics. And Ruby was involved in narcotics. And maybe Tippett, too. Uh what there was an incident a week before the assassination, these two guys were arrested by the FBI. They were in a in a convertible or something and had all these guns in it. And the guns had been stolen from an armory. And they arrested them. One guy's name was Don L. Whittier, and the other guy's name was Miller. And they had been running guns with Jack Ruby. And that <laughs> this again, it's complicated. And if uh, 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 um, an Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms agent named Ellsworth was investigating, that what was happening was there Did were guns. Did he work gun... for Rand Corporation? No, no, he was a federal. He was a oh, you said Ellsworth. Uh, Ellsworth, Ellsworth. He's investigating the fact that there's arms disappearing from this arsenal. And they're going to Cubans, probably uh, at the the house on Harlandale Street. Uh, And this guy at the armory that's in charge of the weapons is letting them, selling them to these Cubans. And Jack Ruby's involved in this somehow. So what they're trying to do is arm these Cubans for another invasion of Cuba. These are radical. This is Alpha 66 guys. And so this, uh, uh, Ellsworth is investigating this at that time. And he comes across this gun store. And this guy named Mason owns this gun store. And he is thinks that Mason is the go-between between the armory and the Cubans. He's a profound right winger. He drive He works for uh, uh, H. L. Hunt. drives Drives him around, and he's an expert marksman. He was an expert marine, and he is a twin for Lee Harvey Oswald. He looks just like him. And guess what? That's the only store in Dallas, Fort Worth, that sold Mannlicher Carcano in uh ammunition yeah you know, after the assassination they couldn't find they couldn't find any place to where Oswald could have got his ammunition nowhere and at the time they checked on uh, they checked on Mason and he said he had some but it was he sold it to somebody and wasn't Oswald and blah blah, blah. so Oswald was or Ellsworth was just about to crack down on this ring this Cuban uh connection is stolen gun ring, when all of a sudden, the Dallas police and the FBI arrest this Don L. Whittier and this other guy. And he was really mad because they ruined his investigation. He was getting close to solving the problem. and But the FBI didn't want it solved. They knew about it and they were letting it happen because of the Cubans. They wanted the Cubans to... But maybe some of those weapons were to kill Kennedy. I mean, I don't know. But the whole point is Ruby was involved in gun trafficking and narcotics too and the dodd committee was investigating both of those things so if oswald's working for them i mean here's what what's the dodd committee investigating fair play for cuba committee uh narcotics juvenile delinquency weapons uh you know interstate sale of weapons narcotics th- all the things that oswald it, is you can link them to all these these things in some way and um what was I? Oh, oh, listen to this. So, how did they get Oswald to do this? If it was the Dodd Committee, Oswald, when he was in New York City when he was thirteen, was picked up by a, a, what do you what you called a, what do you call an officer that uh, makes sure kids go to school, truancy officer, whatever. They arrested him because he wasn't going to school. He was skipping school. His mother was working and gone all day. So he just didn't go to school. He was going to the zoo. He was riding the subway all day to see you know, where it went and stuff, doing things like that. And so they, they take him and they give him psychological treatments and they put him in this, this institution briefly, Border Town or something it was called, as a juvenile delinquent. And... Um, They gave him psychiatric tests and, 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 well, they wanted to keep him there, but uh, Marguerite skipped town with him, and that was the end of it. But it turns out later that that border town was funded by CIA and MKUltra. So, (laughs) let's say the Dodd Committee finds this guy who was a delinquent who you know is uh involved with the fair play for cucumber i mean it all makes sense it all fits together and somehow somehow maybe not all of it but where there's smoke there's fire and uh when that's what i try to do is find links to everything when i find some none of these events or things are isolated so if you find out that like for instance uh dulles the warren commission dulles asked Police Chief Curry, after the when they were investigating uh, the Tippett shooting, and they didn't really investigate it, but he asked him, was Tippett somehow involved in drug issues, drug? And Curry said, no, I didn't know anything about it. Why did Dulles ask that question? Dulles knew something that Curry didn't know, apparently. And... uh, and and Tippett had worked Tippett did other jobs because he wasn't making enough money to being a policeman he was at uh he worked uh, as a night as a guard at different places and one of the places he worked was right next door to Jack one of Jack Ruby's clubs and there was Cubans there and uh, he had a run-in with a prostitute or something and there was it was about drugs so somehow you know, if the Dallas police are in on Ruby's uh, drug deals and they're getting a cut or whatever, Tippett could have been one of the people that was trying to make an extra buck, which would fit in right with what, how, you know, how he struggled. So all those things tied together. So who knows, you know. What about Oswald when he's in
0: Dallas police headquarters?
1: Okay. Okay. Uh, It's strange.
0: It's a strange, but there's a lot going on in that time period. But I think it really highlights at least the climate of Dallas at the time from the Dallas police moves, at least.
1: Yeah. Well, the the big thing that he did when he was in, well, first of all, they interviewed him. They interviewed him for hours, uh, two or three times. And nobody knows what exactly what was said, what question, too much what questions were asked. Um, and they didn't have a tape recorder, and they didn't have a stenographer. Now, that's they insane. They had two that they
0: could have grabbed, and they could have grabbed any reporter's recorders and brought it into that interrogation room. Yeah. They didn't
1: want it. They didn't want anybody to hear what he had to say. And But Hostie was in on one of them, uh, and one of the uh, intelligence agents for the military intelligence was in on one of them. And so we don't really know what he said, you know. So maybe it was because they knew he was uh, working for the government. They knew that he was, and they didn't want people to know it. I don't know, you know. But they, all of them, Curry, uh, Fritz, and Alexander, and Wade, all made comments that they couldn't believe how. Calm, he was, for his age, and how it was almost as if he was trained to undergo interrogation, and they all said that in different interviews with people, which tells you a whole lot. You know, if, if, if that's exactly what he was trained in, he was sent to Russia. He was trained to undergo interrogation and not break. You know. So yeah,
0: they asked him if he had any regrets, and he was like, "Man, I'm really regretting not going to
1: see Pork Chop Hill." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he got Pork Chop Hill, but the biggest thing that he did the night before he was killed, he at you know you're you're entitled to make a phone call, right? He tried to call John Apt and an attorney that was famous for defending communists, of course, which would fit right into his his repertoire, and. They they told him they couldn't get him. They couldn't, he he wasn't there, he didn't answer. He asked Ruth Payne to call him. I don't think she did. So then he had still had a phone call coming. So he gave them a, a phone number. They gave him two phone numbers. He said, and he gave him a name, John Hurt. He says he wants to call John Hurt at this number or this number. So the whoever these guys are, FBI, Secret Service, they're men in suits. They go to the, the two. Uh, they had two girls that worked the uh, the phone lines at at, uh, at police headquarters, and they said Oswald's going to come in, and I we we want to listen in on this, and uh, so they come in. And she, they, they, he gives her these two phone numbers. And the police apparently told her, or whoever they were, told her, tell them they didn't answer. <laughs> so she rings up, there's two numbers for John Hurt. She rings them up, tells Oswald, nobody answered. But the other woman overheard this. And when the woman threw the paper in the garbage this other phone operator grabbed it and kept it for years. She kept this piece of paper with these two phone numbers on And finally, during the, one of the investigations, she gave it to the house assassination committee or something. She told them she had it and she gave it to them. Well, there were two John Hurts. The first one was a guy that, and they were both in, uh, in, uh, Nags Head, uh, is it South Dakota, North Dakota, or someplace. Uh, Anyway, they were in Nags Head. And the one guy never had left Nags Head, never did anything in his life. Uh, He was a nobody. But the other guy had been in military intelligence. (laughs) And so they they tracked the guy down, and he said, I don't know. Where'd you serve? I served over there at Porkchop Hill." (laughs) <laughs> you can't get that out of your head can you <laughs> oh. Oh. i'm sorry go back to your. that's Steve. okay anyway the guy uh said he didn't know oswald and didn't know why he called him and so forth and he the guy uh, was retired long ago and was alcoholic and had arthritis is so bad; they had to cut his fingers off. It's a long story. A guy named Grover Proctor uh, did the, all the investigative work on this, so he might he has some good uh, stuff on YouTube about it. So you might want to look it up. But here he is trying to contact somebody. Now was this a cutout? That uh, I'm in trouble, save me. You know, you get a number to call. It, it, it's it's a cutout too. And he thinks the guy's going to come to his rescue and tell him, "Hey, wait, this guy works for us. Don't worry about you know." But uh what Victor Marchetti said was when you call that cutout, you're dead. <laughs> They're, you're dead. They kill you, you know. So that's another question. But Oswald certainly was good at keeping secrets, and he he didn't tell anybody anything about it. And that's why they but he, eventually he would have figured out that he had been used and then he'd would have come forward i think if they had been a trial they couldn't have a trial but uh, the mystery is that's why it's still going on all this time it's a mystery and every day you would find out something like this new you know another story like this comes out and they can't all be coincidences they can't be uh, you know maybe some of them are maybe some of them are just just happen to be that way you know but they can't all be what are your thoughts about the 60th? I just wish that the truth would come out and it would finally be accepted. And, you know, people are ready for it. Nobody believes their official story anymore. Uh, 80% of the people don't believe it anyway. So what do they have to lose? Why are they still keeping stuff secret after 60 years when everybody's dead? Uh there's still stuff that has to be covered up, you know, and, and that alone tells you that it's not a lone nut that did this. Why would they why would they if it was if Oswald was a lone nut, then why don't they just release all the all the people are dead? But even back then, when the Warren Commission concluded, they said that this, they put this stuff in lockdown for till 2017 or something. Now, why did they do that? They did that because by then, everybody that was part in it would be dead, and the next generation wouldn't care. That was the thinking. And then Oliver Stone puts his movie out, and everybody, a new generation, starts to get interested and wants to know why these documents are still held secret. So they form the uh, Assassinations Review Board, and they subpoena all this stuff. And so they're forced to release stuff, but they're still holding back on on a, on the really important stuff you know not that i i don't think there's any smoking gun in the, in whatever documents there are that because they didn't keep that stuff on paper <laughs> oh we're going to kill the president next week memo <laughs> they don't do that but what it does is it'll show some of the rotten illegal <laughs> things that the cia was doing in 63 uh that were immoral and, and, uh, illegal and outrageous and fascistic. I mean, there were, there were programs that they were, that's why they burned all the MK ultra, uh, documents that they, a few slipped through, but mostly the Richard Helms, it was during the house assassinations committees in, investigation that Richard Helms ordered all the MK ultra files destroyed. Yeah. He was also able to lie in court too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And he got he got a medal for it. (laughs) He went and lied. to, And we're supposed to believe him. You know, he's he's been he's lied to Congress and he was found guilty of it. And uh, and we're supposed to believe when he tells us that they weren't involved or that Oswald was not one of his people or whatever. We're supposed to believe him now. You know, he was a liar. And he he went to when he was found guilty of that of lying to congress they find him okay and they find him a couple thousand dollars or something he went back to cia headquarters and he got a standing ovation and they all chipped in and paid the fine <laughs> he was a hero to them for lying to congress so that's the kind of stuff that the cia was doing you know what do you think is kept secret in some of those documents well mexico city is the, is the biggie i think and George Gionitis, Um they're keeping stuff about him really quiet, and they won't. They don't want to talk about Mexico City. That that that's probably the big thing, biggest one. There are others, but there's projects that they were doing that they don't want people to know about. It. They don't want to know how they did things. They didn't want to know. Uh, and Mexico was a touchy subject. the uh, The federales, the federal police in Mexico, were corrupt as hell, and they were uh, working with the CIA. They, you know, they beat uh, uh, Sylvia Duran. The, the CIA told them to arrest her, you know, because she had dealt with Oswald at the at the Cuban embassy, and they arrested her and they they beat her and tortured her. Uh, until she said that she she had sex with Oswald or something (laughs) they got her to confess to stuff and then they let her go and then the CIA told them to arrest her again they did the same thing again so uh, and those federales were also involved with Traficante's drug network and one of the guys that was um a go-between between them I think was John Roselli for Traficante so there's that kind of stuff, they were involved in drugs. And I think part of it's Gladio because they were using, they were bringing drugs into the country to finance their operations, you know, against communist movements in Italy and overthrow dictatorships. And and they they were financing it with heroin and cocaine. And they were bringing that stuff into the United States. I mean, look at Gary Webb, you know, cost him his life because he blew the whistle on this stuff that they were they, that Iran Contra they were sending weapons over there and bringing back drugs you know and they were they were they, they were hooking our troops over there in, in with narcotics it was and that kind of stuff can't come out you know I mean it, it has nothing to do with uh Oswald or the Kennedy assassination but once you pull a thread <laughs> The whole deck of cards is gonna fall. I mean, it's it it's it, it's it's not necessarily the Kennedy assassination, it's what other stuff they were into that was so awful. Yeah. And that's what they're protecting.
0: I know one thing that's in there that I want is that directors cut a pork
1: chop hill. <laughs> and... <laughs> well, they remake it, they'll have you as the star. Oh, <laughs> Now,
0: Gary, you give me a plenty of your time, man. Um, I appreciate you coming on to clarify some things for me. Um, it's always a pleasure being able to talk with you as well, too. Um, I appreciate the work you have done and appreciate the work that you keep on doing um, for the JFK assassination. And hopefully, you know, new researchers will be able to hear this and look up some of your work and check you out. But where can people find your links,
1: Gary? Okay. It, the other Oswald.com is my website, and uh, I have a Facebook page by the same name. So you can go to those, uh, and we can. You can be in touch with me if you need to be. Uh, but I want to thank you, Robbie, because you're the hope. Uh, you're touching many people with your videos, and I mean, a researcher can only do so much. But we need people like you to 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 get the message out. I just want to know the truth before I die. That's my whole. And it's you know, and I'm 77. So (laughs) I'm running out of time here. (laughs) And that's why I have high hopes for that documentary that's coming out next week. Probably nothing will happen, but that could be the straw that breaks the camel's back as far as if the public can see those guys. There's no way to attack them. They're doctors. They were there. They saw the body. They were firsthand witnesses. You know, they're not Helen Markham. (laughs) They're real and they're, and they're educated and they're bright. And, and they, they, I just don't see how they could be attacked. You know, they're just, they'll try to destroy them, I'm sure, but they can't. And so, I mean, it's not like, uh, one of them came out. It's not like, uh, I came out or you came out or, or somebody told, well, that's just your version. You know, we can make you look like a nut Garrison, for instance, you know, or Cyril Wecht or one of the. But when you get, six or eight of those doctors that were absolutely eyewitnesses to the wounds and know what happened and and that even worse even better than knowing what happened and and seeing the wounds and saying the shots came the the best thing that's going to come out of that is they're going to expose the the government telling them to lie telling them so the government knew Whoever it was, Secret Service, whoever was FBI that was interviewing them and telling them to keep their mouth shut, knew that it was a conspiracy then. So all this crap about the Warren report was after they already knew it was a conspiracy. So here, that's the part, even more than, than the fact that the shots came from another area. The fact is, they the government's in on it. They knew it. They're in on the cover up at least. So let's keep our fingers crossed. It's uh, November 14th on Paramount+. Plus. Porkchop Hill. Chop Hill. <laughs> <Pork> chop hill. <laughs> now, Gary, I'm going to link all your links in the description. It's always been a pleasure chatting with you.
0: And thanks, everybody, for listening to this episode. Of Out of the blank. Stay tuned for next episode.